Welcome to the Stephen King Cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week I'll review one of Stephen King's entries in the chronological order of publication, and this week I review 1980s three illustrated short story, Cycle of the Werewolf. Um, Cycle of the Werewolf um, is an incredibly short read. I just finished reviewing last night the, uh, the Pet Cemetery the book and Christine the Movie podcasts, and I sat down today just to start cycle of the werewolf forgetting how short it was and i finished it in like a half an hour um and so and so basically if you haven't read cycle of the werewolf what it is it's just a collection of of vignettes really um with powerful illustrations by bernie wrightson it's gonna be a very short review but in order for me to get to the review i'm gonna read the wikipedia summary the story is set in the fictional small town of Tarkers Mills, Maine. A werewolf is viciously killing people and animals, and a strange incident takes place at each full moon. The otherwise normal town is living in fear. The protagonist of the story is Marty Koslaw, or Coleslaw, Koslaw, let's say Koslaw, an 11-year-old boy in a wheelchair. The story goes back and forth from the terrifying incidents to Marty's youthful day-to-day life and how the horror affects him. In July, the town's Independence Day fireworks have been canceled. This is very upsetting to Marty, who has been looking forward to them all year. Because he feels bad for him, Marty's uncle Red... Um, that's an error, Wikipedia. Uh, the uncle's name is not Red in the novel. Uh, it's, his name is Red in the movie, as played by Gary Busey, but it's Uncle Al in the book. Um, so Marty's uncle Al brings some fireworks, warning Marty to set them off really late so his mother won't find out. While outside enjoying his own private Independence Day celebration, the werewolf attacks Marty, who manages to put out the monster's left eye with a package of black cat firecrackers. The werewolf escapes, and the police ignore the report because they are looking for a human murderer, not a werewolf. As the summer continues, the bloodshed occurs again every full moon. Fall comes and so does Halloween. To celebrate, Marty goes trick-or-treating. While out, he sees the Reverend Lowe wearing an eye patch. Lowe does not recognize Marty, whose face is covered by a Yoda mask. I don't understand how he doesn't recognize Marty being the one in a wheelchair, but that's beside the point. Over the next few months, Marty sends the pastor anonymous letters asking why he doesn't kill himself and end the terror. In December, he sends the last letter signed with his name. Unbeknownst to Reverend Lowe, Marty has convinced his somewhat reluctant uncle to have two silver bullets made and to come to spend the night at New Year's Eve, which falls on the full moon, conveniently with him. Right before midnight, the werewolf breaks into the house to kill Marty and shoots him twice with the silver bullets, managing to completely blind and finally kill him. A little background um, that, that really helps explain the format is that the novella started out as a calendar with illustrations by renowned comic book artist Bernie Wrightson. Each month would feature a new drawing by Wrightson, complete with a short vignette by King, but King found the size of the vignettes, which were both small and extremely limited, to be a problem. So he proceeded with a short uh, novel and had it published in 1983, complete with the Bernie Wrightson illustrations. So that that explains that. Um, So, it's a tale 
composed of 12 chapters, with each chapter including three Bernie Wrightson illustrations, um, starting off with a two-page black-and-white introduction to the month that shows the, the landscape and gets us just kind of – it's what would be – the the calendar right you know it's it just a perfect representation beautiful beautiful illustrations um to that particular month followed up by a full page colored representation of the main action beat in that particular chapter most of the illustrations um depicting a werewolf of some sort and then a concluding half page black and white to just wrap it up and whether it's intentional or not, King matches Wrightson's illustrations with pictures of his own, shaped not by pencil, um, ink, or paint, but through vivid imagery and descriptive language that's really just as powerful as his artist uh, collaborator. Most of the chapters are self-contained um, vignettes, uh, their own werewolf stories, complete with a beginning, middle, and end. Uh, just a series of one-and-dones that happen to take place within the same small town of Tarker's Mills. Uh, not to be confused with Chester's Mill, by the way, a town famous for its dome. But, uh, but then halfway through the book, uh, we're introduced to Marty, and the story starts to take on more of a, a traditional narrative. But here's the deal. Um, this is not something that I would really recommend to someone that hasn't read Stephen King, that wants to get into Stephen King. I, I would probably even recommend some of his the novels that I, I don't like that much over this one. out. You know, up until this point, I've reviewed, you know, Cujo, which I came down pretty heavily on. I would recommend Cujo over this um, because this just feels undercooked. The imagery is beautiful. Stephen King paints some incredible pictures, but if it weren't for Bernie Wrightson's art, I, I, I wouldn't go out and, and buy this. This feels like a um, like an outline for a larger story that he never gets around to. It just feels like a treatment for ultimately what will become the, the movie Silver Bullet. And I get it. I get it. It was designed to be something else, and he retrofitted it in order to for it to be uh, a short um, like novella. But um, but it just it just it just doesn't to me. It doesn't feel full. It doesn't feel finished feels um like i said undercooked the, the wikipedia summary puts more of a structure on it than actually exists like i said marty doesn't show up until halfway through the the novella and he he doesn't even really appear that much the only thing that we know about him is that he's in a wheelchair he seems like a, a likable kid but he's only there to service the story and that's not something that that king really ever does his characters always stand on really bad phrase um but i mean his characters you know really are the ones that 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 are out there um front and center and they uh you know they're the ones that that drive the story it's not the other way around and here we have the the plot driving our characters forward and not the characters driving the plot forward so that to me um kind of shows what why this kind of feels out of sync with what I feel Stephen King is, is capable of and has demonstrated himself to be capable of up until this point. It just feels generic. It, it doesn't it doesn't really have a stamp of King. I mean, it, it takes place in a traditional Stephen King small town. It's populated by Stephen King-type characters. You know, has a small boy. I'll get into the Kingisms later. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, the, the werewolf attacks, they're, they're beautifully rendered. They're described great. But uh, they're just, you know, just the kind of werewolf attacks that you'd see in, in any werewolf story or any werewolf movie. I mean, even the title, 
the title sounds like just some random werewolf, you know, story. The, the cycle of the werewolf. King is great. And I've said this before, or maybe it hasn't, the, the, the podcast hasn't come out yet. Um, I don't remember which one that I've done. It's just that in... Um, I, Stephen King is really good at titling his books, whether it be Carrie, Salem's Lot, The Shining, Christine, um, Cujo, Firestarter. A lot of his books, you know, later it, you know, I mean, he's really good at titling his books that, that get to the heart of, you know, what the story is. Um, this, to me, Cycle of Werewolf, while it describes the story perfectly it sounds more like a dean Koontz book and nothing against dean Koontz. i like dean Koontz. i like dean Koontz a lot um but his books just tend to be kind of generic and the cycle of the werewolf it's just to me it's just it's a boring title i think this is an example where the 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 movie you know really um improves upon the book i mean silver bullet is a much better title than cycle of the werewolf and so I'm, I'm, I'm glad that's, that Silver Bullet exists um, to kind of one-up Stephen King, you know, because Silver Bullet has that, that, um, has that dual reference. Anyway, it's, uh, if not for the pictures, and the pictures are fantastic, they're beautiful, whether it's, it's the, the, the black and whites or the full color, I, I tend to prefer the black and whites. Um, they're, they're insane. It's insane how good Bernie Wrightson is. Uh, you know, I mean, if you haven't gone out and read Bernie Wrightson's Frankenstein, please do, because the level of detail in his artwork is, I've never seen it before. I've never, I've, and I'll, I haven't seen it again. I would say that this comes in as a close second to, to what Bernie Wrightson is capable of. And Bernie Wrightson's later going to continue to work with Stephen King. It's a great collaboration. We see, again, his work in The Stand, um, his black and white, and and he'll return for um, I put yeah for for Wolves of the Kala in in the Dark Tower series, um, but it's he, it's a good collaborator have and and what and looking at his artwork is is truly the highlight of reading of the the reading experience. So I'm just gonna very quickly go through it. Um, I started the review as I was taking notes. I was gonna take notes on every single one of the. Um, the months, but I'm not going to do that um, because there's really not much to say about each of the chapters. But um, I do want to start with with um, with January. I came down on King, but look, his his descriptions are so rich and vivid. It's powerful. It's just really good writing. Um, and he starts off right away with just great imagery in the opening chapter of January. So he writes. Somewhere high above, the moon shines down, fat and full, but here, in Tarker's Mills, a January blizzard has choked the sky with snow. The wind rams full force down a deserted center avenue. The orange town plows have given up long since. I just think that's a very effective, you know, way to start. It, it really puts you in, in that setting. Um, you know, I mean, I, I can feel... The, the cold. I can see the plows. I, I, I just feel like I'm there. Uh, so, you know, like I said, I've come down on it, but um, it's it's enough to hook me and, and to keep me reading. King begins his werewolf story with an homage to the genre's folkloric roots. 
Our first victim is a railroad worker stationed in a remote shack in the midst of a snowstorm. While it takes place in contemporary times, it could just as easily take place hundreds of years ago in some dark and dangerous European forest. The character, Arnie Westrom, even sounds like some folklore character, thinking of the bad omens that had plagued the land. And gleefully, King presents this little experimental treat um, of words and pictures with the uh, concluding paragraph in the, the, the January chapter. And it's like, it's just, it's pure, you know, Uncle Stephen, uh, you know, the, the, the fireside storyteller that, that, that tempts us. Like, the, the, in the review of Night Shift, I talked about the, the persona that he has um, akin to what Stan Lee had with um, comic book readers addressing them as um, true believers. Stephen King calls us constant readers. And, and this, to me, just sounds like a great introduction to... Um, you know, like an EC Comics-styled story. So he writes, Something inhuman has come to Tarker's Mills, as unseen as the full moon riding the night sky high above. It is the werewolf, and there is no more reason for its coming now than there would be for the arrival of cancer, or a psychotic with murder on his mind, or a killer tornado. Its time is now, its place is here, in this little main town where baked bean church suppers are a weekly event, where small boys and girls still bring apples to their teachers, where the nature outings in the Senior Citizens Club are religiously reported in the weekly paper. Next week, there will be news of a darker variety. Outside, its tracks begin to fill up with snow, and the shriek of the wind seems savage with pleasure. There is nothing of God or light in that heartless sound. It is all black winter and dark ice. The cycle of the werewolf has begun. Uh, so I said that that sounded like a EC Comics introduction um, to a certain extent, but as I was reading it, I was uh, I was thinking to myself, like, who does this sound like? Who does this sound like? Oh, Rod Serling. This is such a great introduction to what would be like a, a Twilight Zone. In the February chapter, you just, you gotta think, poor Stella. Um, not only does she spend Valentine's Day alone, but Valentine's Day also happens to fall on a full moon. Well, I guess she isn't truly alone, with the werewolf taking on what's more traditionally a, a vampire's role, appearing before a, a woman's window at night and being invited into the bedroom itself. Um, I don't really have much to say about March, but April is a great chapter, um, the, the, the scene with the, the werewolf running out from behind the bandstand and, and, and the kid realizing that, that he, he's truly alone and it, it's just I mean there's really not much to say other than it's, it's done really well um, in May we we're introduced to Reverend Lowe who has a, a bad dream and it's very obvious that he is the werewolf at that point and then in June, our victim encounters the wolf right before he changes. Um, and I think that's kind of anticlimactic due to the fact that King all but spelled out for us who the werewolf was in the previous scene. Uh, you know, I mean, to emphasize the point, Alfie, our victim, refers to the werewolf as the beast, the same terminology used by Reverend Lowe the chapter before. In July, um, we meet our main character, wheelchair-bound Marty Koslaw. With this chapter, King ditches the previous done-in-one approach and lays down the foundation that will begin to carry through until the end. It's no surprise that this is the longest chapter so far, with trademark King character development of Marty, of Kate, Grandpa, and Uncle Al. 
The decision to put Marty in wheelchair, it, it's a smart one. You know, we've seen what a werewolf can do to an able-bodied child, which places Marty in even more danger, knowing that he lacks the ability to run from a predator. However, his ingenuity is enough to combat the beast, and it's the fireworks, the symbol of freedom, that push the werewolf back. He may be physically confined to a wheelchair, but spiritually he's free and powerful. By the time October rolls around, the characters realize um, they're in a horror story, fully acknowledging the existence of a werewolf. In November, King confirms our suspicions as Lowe is realized to be the werewolf. And then ultimately, uh, you know, the, the story just goes on until uh, December and the end comes with, uh, with Marty taking out Reverend Lowe. So we have a couple Kingisms here. I, I'm sorry, guys. I mean, I, I, I honestly don't have much to say about Cycle of the Werewolf. Um, it's not even 20 minutes. Um, so for, for Kingisms, uh, number one, you have untrustworthy preachers. Um, Sylvia Pitson is an untrustworthy preacher as seen in The Gunslinger, most recently Charles Jacobs in Revival. Number two, kites as bad omens. In the previous novel, Pet Cemetery, there's definitely a scene um, where the, the kite is the last good memory that Lewis Creed has, and here, flying the kite um, it is the last act of, of a child's life. Number three is our child hero. We've seen before in the form of Mark Petrie, of Danny Torrance, uh, Jake Chambers, and very, very soon, Jack Sawyer. And number four is the, the magic of childhood combating a supernatural threat. Um, this is, is most clearly on display in the pages of It, but, uh, but King definitely starts to get his feet wet here where you have a, a, a child character truly out of his uh, league trying to, to fight back something that um, uh, no one really is equipped to, to be able to take care of, including the adults. Um, and it's only through the, the magic of childhood, in this case the, the belief uh, in silver bullets, uh, that, that'll do the trick. So, that's uh, Cycle of the Werewolf, everyone. Uh, like I said, um, it's... It, it is a story, and it is written by Stephen King. Um, it is beautifully illustrated by Bernie Wrightson. So before I wrap up uh, this week's uh, episode, how about I read a, uh, a viewer or a listener email? Uh, this comes from Dwayne. Uh, Dwayne writes, I just listened to the Cujo review at work, and I couldn't wait until I got home to respond. Let me preface that Cujo was my first King book, and then I read it when I was 14 years old. So I viewed it through that prism. I also recall that it was, in fact, the darkness that drew me into the world of King. I definitely wasn't turned off by it, because the idea of things in life not working out in the end pretty much reflected my childhood up to that point. So perhaps King's coke-fueled rage novel clicked with this kid from a broken home. No boo-hoo's necessary, I turned out fine but I wanted to point out that a person's viewpoint and threshold for ugliness can be shaped and diluted by their surroundings. Regardless, I do like happy endings and pretty things, but if we get that as a reader all the time, it's just not realistic. I have not read Kudo since that first time, so it's likely that my view of the novel would be different upon a reread, but I also read many of authors of extreme horror, so it's difficult to shake me up. 
Love the show. Write back if it compels you because I'd love to discuss. Thanks, Dwayne. Um, which is, uh, Dwayne, thank you again for, for writing. Um, and I, uh, th- this is the kind of email that, that I love to, to get. Um, because so much of, it's just like you said, so much of what we take away from the book is what we give to the book. Uh, I've often said that the reading experience is a, it's a dance between the, the, the author and the reader. You know, it's, the, the, the reader has to, to, to do a lot of work as well. It's just not up to the, the writer to, to put everything out there. So, um, you know, I, I don't recall disliking Cujo the first time I read it. It's only now that I'm maybe older, maybe a little bit more sensitive, like I've said before on, on the podcast. So that that's definitely a possibility. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, I, I definitely don't blame anyone that does like it. Um, but I, I definitely agree uh, that a person's viewpoint can be shaped and diluted Um by their surroundings that's a it's a really good way of putting it and i i do agree i do agree that if you get the happy ending all the time it's just not realistic and it it just it might it, it, it might be too safe um i did respond to to Dwayne, um and in this in the response i referenced um i, I referenced dean Koontz. um you know, I, I think that it's one of the major differences between King and Dean Koontz because King plays for keeps. He's able to devastate the reader with, with major loss, and King ten and sorry, and then Koontz um, tends to play nicely, wrapping everything up in a nice little bow. And, and nothing against Dean Koontz. I, I do like Dean Koontz, and I feel like this is I'm getting deja vu. I think that I mentioned something like this in a, in another podcast review where I, it's kind of like a backhanded criticism of, of Dean Koontz. Um, but I, I like Dean Koontz, but I just feel as though I remember when I was younger and I was reading all the Stephen King books and I started reading all the Dean Koontz books, I, I just remembered that, oh, everything turned out kind of a little bit too nicely in the end of, of Dean Koontz, and it just kind of led to the fact that it, it wasn't necessarily as memorable as it could have been had it been, like I said, a little bit more um, played for keeps, which is what King does. King, uh, King can just really... You know, be be heart wrenching at times. And then um, Dwayne Dwayne wrote in, uh, "You'll be doing your Cujo movie review next, so I can't wait to hear your opinions on on the film. At least we get a happy resolution with that ending. I think that this film adaptation is one of the better entries in the King Page to Screen universe. Um, I, I watched it well before I ever read the book, and it scared the hell out of me." Imagine my disdain when years later I wound up moving next door to a house that had a mean old loud St. Bernard. I stayed away from that pooch. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed the movie. It, it definitely wasn't as, um, to me, it's not as, as good as what I believe the benchmark is with The, the Shining. Um, but it's certainly not as, as bad as, as Firestarter. Um, but it is, it, it's definitely, it's enjoyable um, uh, with, with some really, really good scenes in there. Uh, so, you know, it was effective. It was, it was effective. So, um, Dwayne, as always, thanks for writing in, um, which I think is a great segue. If anybody else wants to write in, feel free to do so at stephenkingcast at yahoo.com. Um, or you can follow along at Instagram, at Twitter, at Tumblr. Um, you can like us on, on Facebook. 
And if you have any free time, head on over to uh, iTunes and, and, and write a review. That would be greatly appreciated. So, everyone, uh, thanks for thanks for the, the, the listen this week. I apologize. It's not even a half an hour. Um, but, but stick around uh, for next week as I review uh, Silver Point, starring one of the two Corys, Corey In the meantime, have a great week, and I'll see you here. Same King time, same King channel. Stephen King.